Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast, Thursday, September 1st. It's a brand new month, uh, and uh, it's going to be a brand new hot air, but we'll have more on that later. Joining me, as always, on Thursdays, the Generalissimo, Dwayne Patterson of the Universe, Master of the Universe, H-U-G-H-N-I-V-E-R-S-E.com, the troll-free web surfing experience for Hugh Hewitt fans and listeners. Dwayne, welcome back. Always uh, good to be back. How are you? Well, I'm better because this is actually going to record properly because <laughs> because <laughs> I what? sucked last week. <laughs> well, you know, it happens to the best of us. Um, I, well, we, yeah, we, but we, but I, I also had a recording with John Andrasik yesterday, and I screwed that one up too. John Andrasik, five for fighting. He's going to be kind enough to redo it next week. So okay, well, <laughs> so well, sad. Then you're, well, then you're right. You do suck. I suck. I suck. Okay, absolutely. Now that we've established that, what's going on in the world today, Dwayne? Um, so, you know, we always did this last night uh, or the night before on, on the after show, which you were so kind to do every week. Uh, I always end by saying, so what are we going to talk about on the Ed Morrissey show tomorrow? And, you know, we have no idea. You know, probably the same thing as last week. Try to take over the world, right? Um, but uh, we actually had a pretty interesting show this morning. And one of the reasons we're a little late to the taping game to get ready for the podcast later today, which is now, if you're happening to listen to it, um, we had Dr. Oz on this morning. And uh, it was the first time we had talked to Dr. Oz, and we had about a 13-minute interview live, you know, called in live, and it was a good interview. And as it turned out, we had Dr. Oz on the morning right after John Fetterman conducted his first TV interview. Did you know about that last night? I did not know about that last night. John Fetterman was in, across the street from a steel mill in Cat's Knuckles, Western Pennsylvania, somewhere. I don't know where he was. <laughs> you know, Selena Zito's going to Selena Zito's going to come and get you for that one. You know that, I, right? I know she is, and, and 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 she she would have good cause. But he was. <laughs> it looked like a it looked like the basement of a bar somewhere where it was basically you know two brick uh, two brick walls in a corner that he was in. He was doing it with his wife, who was there to basically help pick up the slack if he got stuck. I mean, it was very obvious it was a massaged interview. It was on MSNBC's 11th Hour, not with Brian Williams, but with Stephanie Rule, who has taken over that slot. And Stephanie Rule, who is a fine interview and knows how to conduct a tough interview if she deems she needs to, this was not one of those interviews. This was a live-to-tape interview. It was edited. It had all sorts of drop-ins over it and B-roll in case he kind of got stuck so that they could micro-cut micro the audio and make it sound and cleaned up a little bit. I have no idea how much editing was done, but it was not a live interview. It was definitely done pre-recorded live to tape. But it was the longest interview that he has done, the longest media appearance he has done since his return from... Uh, the stroke and heart attack back on, quote, the campaign trail, such that it is. He still won't agree to a debate. He still won't do anything uh, that resembles what a normal candidate would do two months out in front of an election. But John Fetterman was there. Now, I want to play you one passage from this from this interview. Okay. It's about a minute and a half, both the question and then his answer, and then I want you and I to talk about it and okay. think about it, because it was fascinating. It just was on lots of levels. And now, going into it, 
let me start, and I know you you join me in, in saying the same thing. We are not here to make fun of anybody that's had a stroke and a heart attack. That is not what this is about. We are not trying to be mean, nasty. We are not trying to poke fun at the at the infirm guy. What we are doing is we are trying to establish whether he actually has the physical and mental capabilities to actually discharge that job if he were to get enough votes because the evidence is very much in question because he keeps bobbing and weaving and ducking whether he does any media appearances right right okay so with that said this is last night on the 11th hour with stephanie rule here is john fetterman right here. There we go. How do you serve all Pennsylvania voters? It's a very big state, right? Think about Western PA in, in Pittsburgh, where the economy was thriving before COVID, filled with tech companies and universities. There's probably all sorts of people there thrilled about student debt forgiveness. But go 30 minutes outside to Beaver County, where there's likely voters who are saying, I just want a good kindergarten. I want a good fifth grade. How do you serve both voters? We've got a complicated economy. People want very different things. Now, I'm going to stop it right, right here. Okay. That's a good question, by the way. <clears throat> it's a pretty good question. It's kind of, it's a little, um, you know, it's a little complex on policy, but not terribly so. I mean, this isn't terribly esoteric stuff, especially for a guy who's already lieutenant governor. If anything, in a normal situation, right, you have a lieutenant governor going against uh, up against an outsider, you'd almost say that that's too wonky for the outsider. But John Fetterman's an insider. He's lieutenant governor. He's been in, he's been in Pennsylvania his whole life, I believe. So we should know this. Okay, so Ed Morrissey, you're John Fetterman. <laughs> you just you just heard the answer from Stephanie Rule. Right. What's the what's the answer? Well, I, you know, honestly, I'm actually a little. I I, mean, I I can tell you what my answer to this would be, which is that you've got to get government out of the way. You have to start incentivizing production again, rather than incentivizing demand. You, I mean, I already know what my answers are. But even but what I'm saying is, if you're John Fetterman, you already know what the answer is because she gave you yeah, the it's a, answer it's in a, the question. It's a, it's a softball toss, is what you're saying. Absolutely. Well, it's MSNBC, and you expect a softball toss. Uh, it's still a good question. It's a good question, but she but she did the leading part of the end of it where she gave him where to go with it. Yes. She gave him she gave him the rope the breadcrumbs to, to follow back to work his way through the answer. Okay. Right? So what did he do? Okay. Here is the answer. Honest to God, this was if this was edited, this was this was the best they could do with the edit. Here's what he said. Uh let me go back and share there there. I, I just think people need to understand what the and, and be able to recognize, uh, you know, what their lives are, are really like. And we believe and we know that we actually do that uh, very important, too. And, you know, living in western Pennsylvania, living across the street, actually the way we're having this interview right now, right across from a steel mill. We have to understand that that we all can't work at Google or we can't all be working at a hospital. We have to make sure that we are making more stuff here in Pennsylvania and in America. And we also have to make sure that we have to make sure that we address to an obscene uh, minute, minimum wage. And how can we now running for the Senate and you own 10 homes and you are not unwilling to raise a minimum wage above $7 and $25 an hour? 
Um, I mean, we all know that Dr. Oz does live in New Jersey, but the simple is important, too, to recognize how can you understand a life of a Pennsylvania resident if you have nothing to, to be able to serve one that has no clue on what life is like you know, living in, in here in Pennsylvania? What? <laughs> um, yeah. That was what? that was that that was John Fetterman last night. I, I guess the answer to every question that he's going to be asked, to the extent that he even holds himself open to reporters, is going to be Mehmet Oz lives in New Jersey. <laughs> I mean, that's the only answer that he actually got out of. It's the only coherent answer you got out of that. I mean, yes, we need to make more things in Pennsylvania. That actually is true. Why are we incentivizing demand rather than than production? Ed, that is a guy that can't. He can't collect. He can't collect his thoughts. No, that's the reason why he's not going to debate either. And and I mean, the the campaign is admitting this. I think you and I did talk about this a little bit last night. Yes, which is that Democrats really should have really should have made a change in nominee uh, when Fetterman had his stroke and wouldn't return to the campaign trail immediately. I think that they had, and I don't know what the, what the law is in Pennsylvania. Maybe you guys discussed it today on the Hugh Hewitt show, but really honestly, no, no, no we did. We, we heard, we, I, I went mining through that interview to find that one exchange. It hadn't been anywhere yet. I mean, it's MSNBC at 11 o'clock at night. Nobody's right. watching, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, nobody's watching. So I happened to I happened to go through and mine it this morning, going through Bravian and 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 work my way through it. And I got to that exchange, and I went, "Oh my God, he really can't talk. He can't. He can't think. He can't do this yet." And um, again, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to pick on the on on the guy that's infirm. I'm really not. I I wish him. I wish he would go off somewhere and keep working on you know, speech therapy and, and trying to, to work his way back so that he's in fighting shape again. That said, he's not ready for this. Pennsylvania, it, 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 if Pennsylvania truly understood that this is the guy that would be trying to represent them, they would be, they would be panic-stricken because he can't do this. All he would be is just a token Chuck Schumer vote. Right. Chuck Schumer would... I mean, we we use this rhetoric all the time about, oh, this person, this so-and-so, this Democrat is just going to be a puppet for Chuck Schumer. John Fetterman actually would be because he can't do this on his own. No, no. And and it's clear, right? I mean, he can't even get walked through a, an interview question by Stephanie Rule, let alone have a have a, a debate. That and had it... the answer to the question in it. Right. And when he was finished, and when he was finished, his wife jumped in. To try to translate the gobbledygook he just uttered into something that w was a coherent answer. Yeah. So his his wife, who nobody knows, is jumping in. She's got no political experience, but she's trying to say, yeah, what he really meant to say was he is not up for this. He's not up for this game. And and honestly, I mean, just on a humanitarian level, a guy who's had that much of a profound effect from a stroke really should be focusing on his recovery, not on stressing himself out in a grueling Senate campaign and then going to Washington, D.C. and stressing himself out even further. I mean, that's right. this is I, I mean, the Democrats really need to do an intervention here. They need to they need to push him off the ballot. 
And uh, and they need to put somebody else up. Put Connor Lamb up. I mean, honestly, they probably win anyway. Uh, they probably do better with Connor Lamb, frankly, than they do with John Fetterman. Uh, certainly under these it circumstances. May, it, it may not be as close. It certainly wouldn't be as close no. um, as, as the race seems to be right now. Look, um, we we conservatives, we we pundits, we people on the right that have a a a, a, a dog platform in the fight? To, well, a, well, a platform <laughs> in which to opine. Yeah. One of the things we kept hammering over and over again with Joe Biden uh, coming down the, the you know the home stretch was, look, he's just too darn old. It's not that we're picking on old people, but he just doesn't have the chops to be able to do this gig. Right. He's not up to this gig. Well, we're a year and a half into this, and Joe Biden is not up to this gig. No, he's not. He's not up to this gig. It's a, it's, but it's more profound, I think, with Fetterman. I mean, I think it is too because I Biden Biden too. can answer questions coherently in in a press setting we, we, we you know at least mostly coherently this guy is really struggling and i i mean i think that even msnbc had to be looking at that and going you know hugh hugh when he got off when he listened to that he said look i know what happened he says uh you know stephanie and i have had kind of a falling out but we were colleagues for a long time when i was over on msnbc she used to be in my show all the time um, there was some particular reasons why she doesn't do it anymore, and that's perfectly fine. But he says, I know what Stephanie Rule did as soon as that interview was over with. Yeah. She 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 took her she took her, you know, earpiece out and she looked at her producers and she said, I did the best I could do. Yeah. Yeah. I think I that's mean, probably I mean, right. that's probably what she said. All right, let's move on to another topic because I think this one's an even bigger thing than Pennsylvania. You, did you see the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times today about test scores for fourth graders cratering to their lowest, excuse me, their lowest level in two decades, but the worst drop in performance in decades. Right. And didn't, didn't we hear the experts from the CDC? Didn't we hear Anthony Fauci and Anthony Fauci um, and Francis Collins, Francis did, Collins. Yeah. All the experts say, well, sure, there's a there's an inconvenience factor there, but kids are resilient. No, it, kids it are resilient. Back. It's, 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 there, there's, there's no there's no evidence that there's any harm. in person there's education right. isn't necessary. Masking doesn't uh, doesn't harm development. We heard all of this for the last two years, and now we've I mean, and parents have been reporting anecdotally how far and, behind their kids were. And, right. and and people were scolding those parents, calling them, you know, murderers for trying to force people back into classrooms where we already had science from June 2020 from the UK, which showed that schools were not uh, community vectors for transmission, right. uh, you know, vectors, excuse me, vectors for community transmission is what I meant to say. And, um, and that children were not at risk unless they had multiple comorbidities. Children weren't at risk at all for COVID-19, acute COVID-19 infections. And yet we still kept the schools closed. And then when we, when we brought them back, we kept them distanced and masked. Schools, Philadelphia schools started their school year masking up for the first 10 days just this year. Yes. It's criminal what we're doing to kids. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible what we're doing to kids. And now we have actual evidence of this. And you know who was hardest hit, Dwayne? And do you know why they were hardest hit? You can read the New York Times. You've got to go down a little bit in the New York Times to find this out. But you know who was hardest hit? No. Blacks I, and I Hispanics. Didn't... Blacks and Hispanics were hardest hit. And do you know why? No. Their schools remained closed longer than white schools did. 
Did they? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that an interesting development? Um, So they are actually now farther behind, thanks to teachers unions that kept these places locked up tight and the CDC's uh, obeisance to those teachers unions in issuing guidelines that that, uh, state and local officials took as gospel. Which was that? Well, you know, it's better to it's better to be safe than sorry. Let's keep them closed. Let's keep them people distanced. Let's keep let's let's slap masks on everybody, even though the masks don't work and kids aren't at risk. And the teachers, if they're they've got vaccinated first, aren't at risk. <laughs> what do you keep... want to bet? What do you want to bet that in a in a couple of years when we start seeing some of the some of the state testing that comes out from individual states and they start ranking you know, ranking uh, student performance in, in, you know, math and English and all, you know, the STEM, the STEM uh, courses, all all the ones that matter. When we start uh, ranking the states by which kids are are performing the most, what do you want to bet? And the least. And the least. least, What do you want to bet that when we start getting data for the next couple of years, that when, when these kids start getting into high school, the ones that perform the best are Florida, Georgia, Texas, that in some of the southern states that reopened schools and went back to in-person learning sooner. It's what interesting. That, it's interesting. Bet that that's what the data turns out to be. Well, the data in this turns out to be that the West actually did better than than the 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 worst was the Midwest and the Northeast, and you can figure out why. But the South didn't do very good either. Um, the West actually did better than everybody else did. But again, this is, you know, this is one data set. My guess is that you're right. I think that the states that when you start seeing state by state data over the next several years, you're going to see right. that that kids in I, places like Florida and Texas. And, I agree with what you're saying yeah. that, that, you know, you know, everybody reacted to the to the actual lockdown one way. I guess my my thesis or my proposition is the southern states that opened up sooner may have limited the damage um, yes. over time and started to correct the damage by getting actual in-person instruction sooner rather than places like, you know, in the Northeast or in L.A. Unified or all these other whacked out Oregon or Washington that, w- that wouldn't reopen schools. Right. And, I mean, and this is, again, this is the failure of uh, technocratic rule, right? This yeah. is the rule by experts is a failure because the experts aren't God. You know, they, they get things wrong. They got things massively wrong multiple times in this pandemic. And to be fair, it was a fairly novel event. I mean, nobody expected people to be on top of every single detail on something that they'd never seen before. But that type of humility never entered into policy making. These guys were treated as though they were the oracles on high. And this is what you get from that. And not just not just not not just were treated like oracles on high, but demanded to be treated. In Anthony Fauci's case, I am science. If you're against me, you're against science. Demanded to be treated as the oracle on high. Yeah, because they're science, man. You you don't mess with science. science. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He is is the science. The science. Yeah. I mean, this. I mean, this is. Uh, I mean, this is exactly what we've been talking about for the last two years, which is that people were so, uh, the experts were so focused on one particular 
range of uh, risk that they never considered the other risks involved. And that's the reason why you don't put experts in charge. You put elected officials in charge because elected right. officials, because of their accountability to the voters, have to consider the wide range they of risks. They hear from those people. They hear from parents who are saying, do you understand what you people are doing to my kid? Yes. Yes. Whereas, whereas Anthony Fauci doesn't give a, a a rip. No, because he's he's going off the basis of his view of the science on one narrow aspect of this. They don't even consider the other risks, the the risks to child development, the I mean the, the risks to the economy. They didn't right. consider those risks either. Right. All um, he did was assume based off my scientific expertise, my assumption is eh, kids will recover. They're just kids. Who cares about them? The economy They don't vote. Eh, yeah, they, they don't vote. Uh, the economy, yeah, we'll just print more money. It's not the end of the world. Everybody will make do. Right. And and now we're dealing with the fallout of all of these decisions. 10% um, inflation in kids that are that are three years behind in school. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm fine with dealing with the inflation. The inflation is a short-term issue if we if we if we pull our heads out of our collective economic butts and actually apply supply side economics to that issue. But we uh, destroyed the education of a we, generation of kids. These kids, I mean, the Wall Street Journal puts it this way. These kids may never recover. They may be so far behind now that they never actually recover. We may have a generation of kids who just simply can't catch up by the time they finish high school. They're too far behind. Two yeah. years being left out, and they're too far behind. Now, that's not true of every single child that's in that cohort. Some of those kids transferred to, you know, homeschooling. And those kids probably are going to do better than the other kids. But if you're talking about stratification, and if you're concerned about stratification between the haves and have-nots, this is an absolute catastrophe because, right, because the haves are going to be the haves are going to have been able to take care of their children and get them educated, while the have-nots had no resources without the public schools to do that. So in 15, 20 years, you're going to be dealing with the impacts of the moron blip. Yes. Yes. The moron blip. I don't want to say moron blip. It's not the kids' well, fault. No, it's not their it's, fault. It's not, it's not the kids' fault. What I'm saying, we are going, to, as a society, we are going to pay for that. You're going to pay for it in higher crime. You're going to pay for it in more poverty. You're going to pay for it in homelessness. You're going to pay for it in drug abuse. You're going to pay for it in, in a, a spike through that, through that thing because... You've got kids that didn't get educated to the point where they can compete in a free society amongst, uh, uh, you know, or in, in a world economy. They're not going to be able to compete because right. they don't have the skill set. Exactly. Dwayne, we're going to have to wrap things up here pretty quick, but I do want to get to what's coming up on today's Hugh, uh, uh, tomorrow's Hugh Hewitt show. I'm sorry, you've already done today's Hugh Hewitt show. Uh, what's coming up on tomorrow's Hugh Hewitt show? Tomorrow's Hugh Hewitt show is going to be kind of interesting. We are going to do an interview with uh, Blake Masters, who is uh, tightening up the race in Arizona. That is going to be of interest. Ron Johnson of Wisconsin will be joining Wisconsin. us. Uh, always nice to have somebody from Wisconsin come on the show. So we'll do that. We'll bring movies uh, back with Sunny Bunch. And, of course, uh, an interview with Larry Arn. And it wouldn't surprise me if we start talking about that whole um, two-year gap and what it did to kids with uh, one of the nation's preeminent uh, educators, Dr. Larry Arn. 
Ah, well, as always on Fridays, and that's always that's always a great segment on the Hugh Hewitt Show. And that can be heard at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, 5 a.m. in God's Time Zone, 3 a.m. on the left coast. And if you're a member of the Universe, you not only get to watch the show unfold before your very eyes. Also, if you're on uh, Salem Now, Salem Now or Salem, Salem News Channel? Salem News Channel. Salem News Channel. Salem Now is a separate thing. Should belong yes. to both, by the way. Subscribe to both. But uh, if you're on Salem News Channel, you can also watch it live there. But on the Universe, you can watch it live. And you can also get Dwayne's uh, fabulous after shows in the evening, plus lots more content. But if you're not a member, you're going to have to tune in to the AM radio dial. And Dwayne, what should people do if they can't find it on the AM radio dial? Uh, you bring John Fetterman with you, and you have him sit down in front of a GM that uh, should have us on the air and you let John Fetterman speak to him until he finally relents and lets us on. Well, that's one way to do it. I would argue that you just uh, you, you bring the you bring Anthony Fauci on to explain to the AM radio dial managers that the AM radio dial doesn't actually exist. That's one way to do it, right? I mean that 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 would work. All right. Well, until then, Dwayne Gentilissimo Patterson. Happy Labor Day, by the way, and we got lots to talk about the next time you're on here. So we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll leave that yeah, as a teaser. Yes, I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking Labor Day is a precursor of things to come. Things to come, indeed. Dwayne Gentilissimo Patterson at Radio Blogger on the Twitters is. Thanks for being with us. We'll talk to you then. See you guys. Stay tuned for just a little bit more from the Ed Morrissey Show coming up right now. Thank you for watching and listening to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Be sure to subscribe at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube to get alerted as soon as new episodes get published. You can support the Ed Morrissey Show and Hot Air's VIP reporting by becoming a VIP member, too. Visit hotairvip.com and use the promo code SAVEAMERICA, all one word, for 40% off your membership. Choose VIP Gold and gain membership to access to all of the town hall sites. Thanks again for watching and listening.